Philippians chapter 1 is where we are uh, in our uh, study of the book of Philippians. And there is so much truth just packed into this uh, short book that uh, I think it's going to take us a little time, even though it's only four chapters long. Uh, we've, this is our third week already in uh, the book of Philippians. I'll let you remain seated as we read here today. Uh, but I, I want you to follow along in the scripture uh, as we read. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 12. Remember the context here. Paul is writing this from prison. He is in bonds, the Bible says. Uh, He is bound for the gospel. And he says, beginning in verse number 12, But I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, But that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Remember that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is writing to this church at Philippi, these people who were dear unto him. And he is now telling them, uh, basically, you, you know, you're, you're looking at me, no doubt, and, and lamenting my circumstances, lamenting my situation. Your friend, the Apostle Paul, the one who the Lord used in your life to bring you to Christ and to establish the church in that place, is now sitting in prison for the, for the defense of the gospel, for proclaiming the truth of the word of God. And no doubt that is a discouraging thing for you to look at. But I don't want you to be discouraged. I, I like that those words in uh, verse number 12, those first words are, but I would that ye should understand. My desire is that you would have understanding beyond human perception. This is really important for us to recognize because there are two different ways of looking at problems and trials. One way of looking at it is through the eyes of man's understanding and wisdom. That is that which comes naturally to us. That when something happens that is against our own plans for ourselves, uh, we automatically tend to react to that negatively. When a problem arises, we look at it and we see trouble. But Paul says, I would that ye should understand. My desire is that you would be able to look at this situation with understanding, and that understanding is in relation to God's purpose. Because, friend, understand this and know this, that regardless of the circumstance, 
in all things, God has a purpose and a plan. And this is what was happening in this situation as well. Have you ever had something that just uh, came into your life that caused discouragement and dismay because of this circumstance, and maybe you even felt kind of hopeless? Like, oh, that was what I was hoping for. That was what I was banking on, and now that is gone. I'll be honest and say that I have felt that way at times at the end of an election cycle, <laughs> you know, and, and, and the guy that I'm pulling for and the guy that I think is going to get into office and maybe turn some things around, he doesn't, and the other, the opponent wins, and all of a sudden, what do I feel like? The instant that that happens, my thought is, well, I guess that's out the window. Well, I guess our nation's headed down the tubes now. And, and that's a foolish way of thinking because we understand, don't we, that it's not who's in the White House or who's sitting in Congress or who's sitting in the governor's mansion that's actually in control of things. I'm thankful that we know that God is still on his throne and, and nothing happens apart from his knowledge and understanding and allowance. And so I can be confident, I can rest easy regardless who sits on the king's throne to know who's really in charge. And I can rest easy. But maybe you felt that way at times. Now that this has happened, how could things ever be the same? Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Someone in your life that was not only significant and loved to you, but someone who brought uh, stability in your life. And now they're gone. And you wonder what is going to be. I put myself in the shoes of these Philippians, and here is a man that they have followed, a man that they have looked up to, a man that they've partnered with in ministry, and now it looks like his life is going to come to an end in a prison cell. And that had to be a bit hopeless in their thinking, but Paul is saying to them, listen, I would that you should understand. You need to look at this the way that God would have us to look at this. So I want to just kind of dissect this passage a little bit this morning and, and, and hopefully understand some things about it and learn some truth that's going to apply in our lives when things don't go as planned. And that's the title of the message this morning, that when things don't go as planned. I want to first of all show you in verses 12 and 13 that there is a realization. Now, this realization is that of, of Paul and his understanding. The Lord uh, had given him understanding of his circumstance. And look what he realized. Verse number 12 but I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What was Paul's life all about? Well, it was about the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross. This is why he did what he did. And now he finds himself in a situation that from a human perspective... He's not, he's not able to do that any longer, right? Here's a man, he's going out, he's preaching, but now he's locked up in prison. How's he going to proclaim the gospel anymore? But he says that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather. I think that word rather is significant. It looked as though this was going to put an end to the ministry, but rather than that, God had different plans and he says, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Has, has it ever occurred to you that Satan often tries to thwart God's plans by putting obstacles in our ways? 
by putting, uh, by putting hindrance, hindrances in our path to cause us to stumble and fall. But ultimately, God is triumphant. No matter what Satan tries to do to overthrow God's plan and God's will, he cannot prevail. And nothing can happen outside of God's uh, knowledge, understanding, and even his control. And so Paul says, the things that happened unto me, these problems that arose in my life, God has actually taken them and he's now using them for good. My mind goes back to the book of Genesis in chapter 50, where Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt, and there in Egypt he had been exalted to a position of power, and 20 years or so after his life was turned upside down, finally the fulfillment of what God said was going to happen, happened. And his brothers come to him, hoping that that he's not going to... (laughs) put the hammer down on them because they deserved it. They come to him seeking mercy. And you remember what he said to them? He said, you intended evil for me, but God meant it for good. God took your evil and he turned it around and he used it for good to accomplish exactly what he had planned all along. Friend, I believe it's important that we recognize and understand that the circumstances that we find ourselves in have not taken God by surprise, and they have not overcome God's ability to do great things. Maybe something has come into your life recently, and you feel as though, you know, now, now, this is what God wanted to do, but that's not going to happen now because of this and that and because of these circumstances. Friend, understand this. All things, the Bible says, all things work together for good. My, my family had this discussion last night. We were sitting around uh, the, the, the Bible and just talking about some things. And the fact we were talking about Jonah. One of the, the interesting phrases in the book of Jonah is that the Lord prepared or God prepared. It says at the end of chapter 1 that God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You read on a little bit further, and even in chapter 4, you find that God prepared uh, a, a gourd to, to, to come and, 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 and provide shade for Jonah. You find that the Lord uh, prepared a worm to eat that gourd, and he prepared a wind uh, to blow. And all through that, and it's a very short little book, but over and over, what do you see? God prepared, God prepared, God prepared. And we talked about the fact that even... Though, this, think about this, that, that great fish, or the whale as the New Testament calls it, that swallowed up Jonah, this wasn't something that was born on the day that Jonah rebelled. This was something that God had been preparing all along, knowing what Jonah was going to do in his disobedience, his rebellion against God, and the Lord had been preparing the means in order to chasten him and get a hold of him so that he could send him to a prepared people And preach a prepared message so that people could be saved. And God was working circumstances together for good. Did you know that everything that happens in life is interconnected with other things? Everything we do, everything we touch, every decision you make changes the course of the future. And yet, understand this, all of that is within God's plan and control. And nothing happens that God is not, does not have his hand in, and all things work together for good. And 
So here Paul finds himself in this situation in bonds, and yet he says, listen, God's taking this bad circumstance and he's using it for good. He is, the, the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. That which Satan is trying to use to hinder the gospel is having the opposite effect. Notice he says in verse number 13, so that my bonds in Christ are made manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In other words, this news of what was happening to Paul uh, was spreading to the world at that time, to those in all, in all other places, the Bible says, but even in the palace, uh, even among Caesar. Uh, there, the, it was known that there is a preacher that's being detained for preaching a message. Oh, by the way, what is the message that he's preaching? And, and as that is being known, the gospel is going forward. Notice he says that it's known to all the palace. Now, you're in Philippians chapter 1. Go, go to the end of the book of Philippians, if you would. In chapter 4, verse number 22. I want you to notice something really fascinating to me. Philippians 4, verse 22, as Paul is concluding the letter, he says, all the saints salute you. These are saved individuals, people who know Christ. Chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. Now, Caesar was the the ruler of the Roman Empire. And he says that the, the people who are greeting you, all the saints, the, the, those believers in Christ who are around me are saluting you, they're greeting you, especially or chiefly those that are of Caesar's household. You know what this means? Paul had the opportunity to lead some of Caesar's own family to Christ. He would have never had that opportunity if he hadn't been put in the situation that he was in. And so God was providing opportunities for him that he would, have, he would have missed out on if he was not in the situation he found himself in. Now, how often do we fight to change our circumstances without considering maybe that this is happening for a reason? Maybe God is doing what he is doing in order to accomplish his will. And so now, the gospel is reaching places that it would not have reached had it not been for this particular trial. That, that was Paul's realization. I would that you should understand. Now, he, in the next few verses, talks about his rejoicing that the gospel is being preached. Look at verse number 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word... Without fear. So Paul is saying, not only am I being given opportunities to preach the gospel in places and to people that I otherwise would not have the ability to do that, but at the same time, my circumstances have actually motivated other people to be bold in their witness for Christ. Now, I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it was one of those things, you know, there's fear of the unknown, I'm not sure, uh, you know, and, and that fear of the unknown caused maybe some people to not be bold in their witness, but now they're watching Paul and seeing him sitting in, in prison and thinking, you know, if God can give Paul the grace to rejoice in that, God can give me the grace, I'm going to go ahead and be bold in my witness too. 
Maybe it was just out of loyalty to Paul. Hey, somebody needs to pick up the mantle and go out and preach the gospel. But either way, because of his situation, there were other people who were emboldened to go and be faithful in preaching the gospel. And so now Paul is in a place that he never intended to be, preaching to people that he never thought he could or would. And while he's doing that, there are other brethren that are taking up his mantle, picking up the torch, and they're running with it, and now the gospel is being furthered. So Paul is looking at this and saying, you know, this isn't just about me. My circumstances are not just about me. They're also about other people. How easy is it for us when problems come into our lives to turn inward, to only look at ourselves and how this trial directly affects me? I mean, after all, Paul was the one who was having to sleep on the floor of a prison. He was the one that was bound by chains. He was the one that was having to eat probably less than substandard food in order to survive. He was the one having to deal with the affliction and the problem. But when he looked at his circumstance, he was not only looking at himself and how it affected him, but he was rejoicing in that his trial was actually resulting in spiritual growth in other people. Now that's a challenging thing to do. It's a challenging perspective to keep because in the midst of problems, all we can think about often is the problem itself and how it makes me feel and, and, and how it's affecting me. But Paul was able to see beyond that and see what God was doing in the lives of others. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse, uh, verses 3 through uh, six, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What's he saying? God allows us to go through trials so that we can experience his peace. So when other people go through trials, we can turn around and help them. It's not all about you, and it's not all about me. It's actually about one another. Then he goes on and he says in verse number 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And so what is he saying? He's saying in the midst of my problems, I am considering not only how this affects me, but how it affects you as well. Can I encourage you, if you find yourself in situations where things are not going as planned, and maybe you've got problems in your life, and you've got situations where you feel like, man, how could, this, how could things ever be the way that they ought to be, or the way that they used to be? Maybe look beyond yourself. And consider, how could God use this thing in my life to influence other people for good? To either help them in times of trouble or to encourage them in their spiritual growth. Paul is saying, listen, I'm in bonds, but many of the brethren in the Lord are waxing confident by my bonds. 
my, my problem, my trial is actually benefiting other people. They're overcoming their fear. And they're going on to obey God in a greater way. So some were emboldened to preach. But then some who envied Paul thought to add to his affliction. Look at verse number 15. It says, Some indeed preached Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Now this is an odd situation. And I've, I've really spent some time over the years trying to consider this. There were apparently people, presumably brethren, Christians, believers in Christ, whose motivation to preach the gospel was in order to stick it to Paul. In other words, for whatever reason, they didn't like Paul. They had a problem with him. That in itself is interesting when you think about it, because sometimes you look back, maybe, maybe you don't, I do, I look back at the first century Christians, and I think, okay, they maybe had some problems, but they didn't have the same problems we have today. Oh, actually they did. Even among the brethren, there was sometimes animosity. Uh, there, there was jealousy, no doubt, and some frustration there. And there were brethren who didn't like Paul, and actually were gloating when he was put in prison. And almost for whatever reason, they thought, you know, if we go out, those who knew, knew Paul, probably knew that he knew they didn't like him, if we go out and we preach the gospel, that's just going to be like, a, you know, like twisting the knife. Because he can't do it, and here we are, we're doing it, and, and we're going to just add some affliction to him. It's an odd situation, and yet... Here were these people trying to add affliction to Paul, trying to cause him to be jealous, but their plan isn't working. Because he says in verse number 18, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I don't care who's preaching the gospel or what their motivation is. I'm just glad the gospel's being preached. Now, friend, can I just say to you that maybe, as Christians, it would be good for us to try to be a little bit less envious of other people, a little less territorial, a little bit less maybe even vindictive at times, and just be thankful if someone is preaching the gospel, we may not be able to partner with them for various reasons. We may not be able to even fellowship with them for various reasons. But if the gospel is going forth, that is a good thing. This is what Paul is saying. The gospel is going forth, and I don't really care who's preaching it or why they're preaching it. I'm just thankful that they're preaching it. And he was able to rejoice. He wasn't looking at the motivation. He was just looking at the fact that the word of God was going forward. And now... That which Satan is trying to use for evil, God is using it for good, and it's falling out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. More people are being saved than would have were I not in this situation. Now, something else about these who were preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, let me just say this, isn't it good to know 
That even though their motivations were wrong, even sinful, that God can still take that and use it for His glory. I'm thankful that God uses imperfect people to accomplish His perfect will. Because it means that He can use me and He can use you. Uh, don't, don't ever mistake this. God doesn't need you and me. He doesn't need some great you know, individual who can accomplish wonderful things. No, God uses us in spite of us. Uh, God takes our imperfections and our flaws and our failures and still is, is willing to use surrendered and willing hearts. And I hope that, that you are willing to say that to the Lord. Hey, I, I'm not perfect, but by your grace, I want to glorify you in my life. And so there was not only a realization on Paul's part that God was using these things for good, there was rejoicing that the gospel was going forth. And then I want you to notice in verse number 19 through 21, uh, there's a resignation here. Paul is resigning himself to the outcome that God wants to bring about in his life. He says in verse number 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Understand, he's not talking about salvation in the sense of a, uh, a spiritual rebirth. Paul is already saved, but he's talking about deliverance, physical deliverance. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, I know you're praying for me, and I am confident, I know, that I will be delivered from my current circumstances. Verse 20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Here's what he said, I know that God is going to answer your prayer and he's going to deliver me one way or the other. He's either going to set me free physically so that I can go on and continue the ministry that he's given to me, or he's going to set me free through death. And either way, Christ is going to be magnified. This, this, is, a, this is really an amazing uh, uh, resolution in Paul's heart where he's willing to say, listen, if I die... It's for the Lord's glory, and if I live, it's for the Lord's glory. And whatever it is that he wants to do, I know that this circumstance I find myself in is not permanent. But there is deliverance coming. Christian friend, can I encourage you today, whatever it is that you're facing, know this, it is not permanent. You will be delivered from that. Maybe in this life, maybe in heaven. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed for a dear brother or sister in Christ to be healed. And they didn't experience that physical healing here in this life. But you know what happened? The Lord took them home and they experienced healing. And that which was such an affliction, such a trial, such a burden in this life no longer is. They've been delivered. It's turned to their salvation. And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, I appreciate you praying for me. And I know that God is going to use this for his glory, whether in my life 
or my death. Why? Because he knew that death for the child of God is not defeat, it is victory. Death for a a born-again Christian is not the end, it is the beginning. And he is ready to be set free physically or to go home and be with the Lord, but either way he knows that the prayers of God's people will result in his deliverance. How could he say something like that? Well, because... Remember, Paul had already counted himself dead. Galatians 2 and verse 20, he famously said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He said in another place, I die daily. He said in another place, you are to reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. What is he saying? Christian friend, you need to die. You need to die to yourself. You need to die to your own desires, to your own will. You need to write off your own life and let God do with you what he wants to do. Die to self. And now he's willing to say, hey, if God wants to take me home, that's great. If God wants to set me free, wonderful. But either way, Christ will be magnified. I want the Lord to get the glory from my life. And then he even says this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now here's the real question and kind of the crux of the message this morning based on that verse. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say with absolute certainty that for you to die is not loss but gain? The only way that you can say that with absolute confidence and surety is to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven. If you know that you have been saved, you've been born again, there is a home being prepared for you. You can then say with confidence, to die is gain. The things that this life, that this world has to offer could never possibly be compared to what God has prepared for his people. And for every born again Christian, death is gain. It gets better after this life. If you're saved here today, you can have that confidence. (laughs) One day, it'll be better. No matter how good or how bad it is now, it's going to get a whole lot better when I'm in the presence of God. To die is gain. And every Christian can say that with confidence. But can you say the first part of that with confidence? For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, as long as I am alive in my flesh, God is being glorified. If you notice, we read that in English, for to me to live is Christ. And that is the meaning of that. But if you notice that word is, is italicized in the King James Bible. What that means is that it was added by the translators for clarity of the intention, the thought 
of, of, of what, what that means. And so what, that, what, that, what he's literally saying is, if you just translated word for word what is written there, it would say this, for to me to live, Christ. In other words, everything about my life is wrapped up in Him and who He is and what He has done in me. And as long as I am living, Christ is being magnified in my body. Did you know that theologically speaking, when a person gets saved, the life that we now live is in and through Jesus Christ? In other words, He is to be living through us? Our body, our members, our physical flesh is actually just to be an instrument for the Lord to use for His glory? Can you say that with confidence? I, I'm yielded to Him. And for, for me to live is Christ. It is Christ living in me. Because, friend, that is the only way that God can be glorified in your life. For Him to live through you. Jesus said it, abide in me and I in you. For the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Without me, he said, ye can do nothing. Two questions. Do you know that to die is gain? Have you been saved? Do you know that when this life is over, it's only going to get better because you will go to be in the presence of your Lord and Savior. If you don't have that confidence today, can I encourage you, please, and implore you, don't leave this building without that assurance. We cannot save you. This church can't save you. Getting baptized won't save you. But here's what will save you, Christ. And He died, shed His blood to pay for your sins and for my sins. If we'll place our faith and trust in Him alone for forgiveness of sins, He's promised to save us and to make us His children, to give us a home in heaven, to give us that absolute assurance that to die is gain. Can you say that? And if you can say that, can you say the other part of that? For to me, to live is Christ. And I'm resigned whatever circumstances he wants to bring in my life, because even though from a human perspective they may not always look desirable, I know that God is able to take anything and use it for his glory, and my life exists for the glory of God.